You are listening to Future Net Zero, a platform to help businesses and the wider community improve our lives and our planet by achieving net zero. In this episode, Future Net Zero founder Sumit Bose speaks with Philip Heathcote, Head of Markets at UK Power Network Services. They discuss hybrid solutions, the electrification of transport, and the continuing need for thought leadership and innovation. Welcome to this Future Net Zero podcast, where I'm joined by one of our partner companies, UK Power Networks, and I'm joined by Philip Heathcote, who's in charge of markets, head of markets at the uh, the service side of the business, UK Power Network Services. Just so the audience know, what is the difference between UK Power Network Services and UK Power Networks, Philip? I, I well, first of all, um, good afternoon, Summit. Good afternoon. Um, so we're uh, we're an affiliate of uh, UK Power Networks. Um, services is the business-to-business business, uh, side of the operation. So uh, we're dealing with, we're commercially related to lots of partners. Um, our specialism is high-voltage engineering, but increasingly our clients are pushing us into grid-edge technologies. Some of our clients, I mean, we've, our client base is very strong, um, I would say, and we've got some of the key infrastructural partners in the UK that we're working with, major airports, transport operators, and we're going to talk about transport today, like High Speed One, Network Rail, yep. London Underground, and we're, uh, we do a lot of work for the Ministry of Defence, and we do work for uh, the likes of EDF, Hinkley Point C. And yep. I guess the other key difference with us is we're not confined to a geography. Um, yeah. our, our operational footprint is the whole of the UK, not just uh, not just uh, the DNO's region. Gotcha. And so, for the businesses that are listening, who are who think about behind the meter or crazy about, you know, your your side of it is something they could contact to to get connections and and look absolutely, at and, and also to to think how to you know that transition into uh, the, into the energy transition, what we can do, how we can help them with energy strategies reduce the emissions and, and importantly of course for any business um, reduce the uh, the bill the cost of um, running an enterprise yeah absolutely well you said it yourself we're going to talk about transport so let's talk about transport I think not since the 1830s 1850s are we facing this biggest challenge because we're at a real cross point in in two times of transport let's talk about rail first and then we'll talk about cars but the rail network, you know, we all know it changed this country, it changed everywhere in the world. Um, steam, the power of fossil fuels that gave us the ability to communicate by putting in railway lines that then gave us cities, uh, increased everything, uh, commerce. We're now at that stage where the rail network is facing this big change to full electrification because people will probably think, oh, a lot of trains are electric, but there's still a lot of diesel out there, isn't there? And there's a lot of stuff that's kind of very much based on fossil fuels and, and things like that. So just looking at where we are, how big a point do you think it is for, the, for this transition uh, for, for, for the rail networks? I think rail's a, a, a very interesting point in its uh, evolution, as you rightly say. Um, as a society, we're becoming increasingly urbanized, so people are traveling into, into town uh, more frequently and, and rail's a great way to do that and a, a really green mode of transportation you're absolutely right there are parts of the network however that are still uh, operated by diesel trains and and i think there's a, a, a sort of a i was going to say a battle but a, a, which technology takes the lead in rail 
um, you'll see talk of electrification and you'll see talk of hydrogen. Yeah. Both, both, both viable options, you know, hydrogen, um, part, uh, part of the German network, German rail network, um, is run on hydrogen and it's proven it's proven mm. um on the flip side electrification your classic electrification where you're putting up overhead lines it, it's it's circa a million pounds a kilometer so it's no small investment no. and um for those who who have traveled on the great western line from london through to cardiff you know there's also a disruption as the line's electrified so there's a there's a, a sort of a tension between hydrogen and electrification but but i would say probably with rail there's a there is a third way um which is um not necessarily electrifying the lines but actually modifying the rolling stock so that it's battery powered yes i mean that's the big thing isn't it because yeah you're right about the the, the you know the millions of pounds it takes to lay the cable but if your trains can run on batteries then you know where where you swap out the the, the, the diesel bit of of a, a journey the battery could be the solution, couldn't it? Without the it, infrastructure, it could be, and it could. And you know, if you think in rural rural areas where there's also um, an environmental impact, overhead lines are quite unsightly. Having a battery operated um, train in some of um, some of our rural areas, in, in areas of outstanding natural beauty, then I think there's also um, there's also that side to it. And, and battery operated trains, you know, they've been successfully trialled in the UK. Um, Bombardier ran one in East Anglia. Uh, the range of the trains is circa 50 kilometres. Battery technology is improving all the time. So, so I, I really do think there's a third way. We ourselves at uh, UK Power Network Services have been doing some work with Network Rail um, and one of the train operators about installing charging infrastructure for rolling stock yeah. um, on a number of, uh, number of branch lines. Um, the range is sufficient. The time the rolling stock, the train spends at a station is sufficient to recharge. So... I absolutely think it's viable and um, and it's cost effective in comparison to a million pounds a kilometre to uh, to put wires up. So yeah. I think it's it's an exciting time in rail um, as to which way the technologies will take us. Do you, do you believe that this kind of big electrification that, that people have talked about, a big rewire of Chen talked about for, for housing stock and heat and in transport, you know, every week we run stories on Future Net Zero, you know, hubs being created around either hydrogen or batteries and as we said you know this huge transformation of the rail network there's an ability here where the government can sort of balance up isn't it because you can bring uh technologies to change the economies of people um which which, which is done in the past and can do again now can't it uh, absolutely yes absolutely and i think uh, sticking with rail you know there's an interesting example where uh, government's talking about investing in rail in the north improving yeah. the connectivity um, across the country um, so i think improving transportation improving um, our environmental footprint kick-starting the economy i think transport can can play a key part in that and different technologies can play a key part so i think government stimulating ideas innovation investment making planning easier working with industry to look at different uh, standards i think that can really open up wider transportation links more electrified transportation links and rebalance the economy north south and you know in this covid world um stimulate green recovery too yeah let's take ourselves onto the roads from the tracks. so 
I, I got slated the other day because I drive a diesel car, right? And I had to make my argument. And I know there's like the pariah. And I oh, said, indeed. well, hang on. I am, I'm a demon. I said, hang on a second. My, my previous car was 17 years old. It was a petrol Golf. It was just spluttering out. Its emissions were shocking. This one is much cleaner. It's got particulate trapping matter. It's got this ad blue stuff and all of that. And yes, I would love to have an electric car, but I live in London and I live in a small flat and there's nowhere to charge it. Mm. So when I get my next car, I'd like it to be electric. But that's the challenge we're facing. We're expecting you guys to put my charging points in. So where is that big issue around you know, electrification? Because again, you could say, is it inevitable we'll go to electric? Because you could also ask, do we use hydrogen and use the pumping stations, which pump liquefied petroleum now to do liquefied hydrogen? How, how big a deal do you think this change for our, our domestic uh, transport will be? I think it's a, it, it's, it's a change. And I, I personally, this is a personal view, think electric vehicles will be ahead of hydrogen vehicles. I think the, the there's a first mover advantage here and I think you know the technology is more mature mm. you know, for electric vehicles and hydrogen vehicles and you know as, as a nation well, fundamentally they're both powered by battery aren't they it's just a bit uh, yeah but then you with hydrogen you've got to start moving into the generation of green hydrogen mm. haven't you and the yeah. challenges that brings um, um so I think I think as a nation as individuals yes we need that charging infrastructure folk um, I think people are getting over range anxiety now and over yeah. the, um, yeah. using the word range again, but over this limited range of vehicles to choose from. I was looking at the uh, the registration of new vehicles and electric vehicles in from June 19 to June 2020. And I acknowledge it's a strange time with yeah, COVID. Strange, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But they, the registration has gone up 264%. So, so that psychological block that perhaps we had a year ago, two years ago, I think it's moving. And I think it is, and, and you are a pariah, Simit, you're right, but I, I, I drive a petrol vehicle. But I've I think been far worse than that. <laughs> but I think, you know, there'll come a point where neither of us will want to drive our petrol or our diesel yeah. vehicle because it's, it's just not right anymore. Yeah. So I think, uh, think organisations like ours can help. Um, where we've been doing a lot of work is in the commercial vehicle space. Yeah, I was going to talk about because th there'll be a big challenge of fleet transformation. Mm -hmm. And I know that UK Power Networks itself is undergoing that, changing its vans, and it's, it's started that process. How, how do you think you could help businesses? Because they'll be asking you, well, I don't know what to go for. I mean, it's a lot for me to put in infrastructure. And again, you know, will that work for me? Will I be able to charge? Will I, where will I get my power? So what yeah. do you say to a business that says, how do, how do you help me with my transition? So uh, we're in the position where, where as uh, UK Power Network Services, we've been doing a lot of work with UPS here in London. Um, and what they've been uh, doing is they've been electrifying their Camden depot, using it as a test bed to, to, to take a, a number of vehicles, 170 vehicles uh, operate out of that depot, as a sort of small scale trial to prove the technologies, to prove the charging infrastructure, but also to link it into some energy storage and some uh, smart software so that it's charged, the vehicles are charged when the electricity is the cheapest and greenest. Um, and that trial, which is started out to be, has proved to be very successful for UPS to the point now where they're rolling out the solutions that we and they worked on across Europe. 
And at the start of the year, they committed to um, to a UK manufacturing company, which is superb news, um, a company called Arrival for uh, for 10,000 uh, EV vehicles with an option for another 10,000. So I think small scale trials of the like we did with UPS not only uh, deals with sort of the infrastructural challenges, but the operational challenges. We've got to remember that the uh, the crew, the drivers have to think differently. They have to yeah. charge the vehicles. Yeah. But what one of the fabulous points that UPS came back with was that the drivers love love the electric vehicles. They're quieter, there's less vibration. Yeah, so actually they were getting a, 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 an employee engagement kicker out of it as well as an environmental kicker and an economic kicker. And, and do you think, I mean, you know, that's a very big company, UPS, but can you apply these lessons as, you know, it's always the thing is the big ones always go first in anything. And then eventually small businesses can, can do it. Do you think eventually in the next sort of few years, smaller businesses will be able to do the same, you know, electrify their fleets and, and, learn, and you know, and, and smaller scale charging things that obviously won't cripple them financially to, to change? Absolutely. Uh, I think these things are scalable. And I also think that, you know, the, the business case, the economics are changing, you know, the, the capital costs are coming down of these uh, infrastructures all the time. Technology is advancing. It's becoming more reliable. It lasts longer. Um, and some of the studies we've done show, you know, over a fairly uh, short time period, um, the total cost of ownership of an electric vehicle versus, say, a diesel vehicle, it's a lot lower for an electric vehicle. So the economics stack up as well as, you know, doing the right thing for the environment. Sure. And sure. at the end of the day, you know, if you're a hard-headed business person, it's the economics that drives yeah, Of course it. it is. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. And that's not, we're unashamedly about businesses, mm. you know, being able to support themselves and make money. And, you know, if they can do these changes, that better them, but also make revenue savings, why not? Absolutely. Um, let's uh it's like i feel like planes trains and automobiles so let's let's take off now let's go to the sky all oh, right okay we, we've, we've left we've left our car and we've got onto the tarmac and obviously aviation's in a real mess right now because of covid but it will recover eventually it will but where will i fly to and what will i fly um jet zero this new government initiative about trying to get the, the aviation industry to net zero was launched last month do you think that aviation can become greener? Because that's going to be a real change in people's behavior of kind of, do I take that business trip? They may still want to, but then they'll think, how much carbon am I using? So is it a solar plane? Is it a hydrogen plane? Is it yeah. from, from a battery? What, what, what do you think? So, so, so yeah, so I, I mean, the aviation, you know, is, is challenging itself um, yeah. to, uh, to reduce its footprint of aircraft. I mean, in the short term, Will we see electric planes? I'm not sure. I mean, there's a lot of uh, a lot of development to be done there. A lot there, more science, think. isn't there? A, a lot more science, and I think probably in the next logical step would be some sort of hybrid solution, which you know perhaps isn't so far away. But in in, in the short term, they're looking at biofuels and uh, just general how much fuel the the engines consume on uh, in, in flight. So uh, you know, an Airbus 320 Neo takes uh, I think it's 13, 15% less fuel. It's 13, 15% more fuel efficient than uh, the planes it's replacing. So in my head, in aircraft space, it'll we'll be moving into that hybrid space in the first yeah. instance. How quickly will we get to fully electric planes? Will we ever get to fully electric planes? I don't know. But mm. I mean, some of the world's biggest players are, uh, are operating in this space, you know, Airbus, Boeing, Rolls-Royce, Siemens. So it's an, an active space for sure. 
but I, I do think in aviation we shouldn't forget on the ground um, yeah. you know we, we often think about the aircraft themselves but airports like the likes of Heathrow you know it's, it's a mini city isn't it yeah all the power there all the build, vehicles and all of that stuff yeah absolutely so I think what we can do in the aviation space and, and again it's a, it's a space we're active in is working with the airports about how can we reduce their emissions what can we do to make the airport more fuel efficient um, it, uh, um, and there's some and I think that's an instant place um, where aviation can green itself and ultimately perhaps we will into hybrid aircraft and electric aircraft yeah but aviation on the ground you're has, saying all, all, all the all the things apart from the planes could be easy wins could, could be and yeah. the planes i think will transition and maybe in the first instance it's biofuels then it's hybrids but there's there's a lot of activity on the ground and you know just just linking modes of transport together because you know how we get to the airport so linking rail and road those door-to-door -door journeys to catch your flight i think it's about having that whole door-to-door -door experience as mm. green and um, as sensitive to the environment as possible i think finally we have to talk about the water because one of the things that people never talk about you know aviation gets it in the neck but we don't talk about shipping we don't really talk about how much goods are transported by sea, which is yeah. far, far more. How much diesel is used at sea, which is incredible amounts. And the fuels and the refinery and the crude oils and everything like that. That, many people say, is something that is just too big to hmm. change. What, what's your view on the maritime industry? Yeah, well, um, maritime guys, when you talk to them, they, they get it. They totally understand it. Um, and again, you know, just talking about the vessels in the first instance um, I think at the start of this year the legislation changed so they have to use low low sulfur fuels yeah. if the ships don't use low sulfur fuels then they have to have scrubbers fitted so the, um, the industry is getting it in, in terms of ship design then yeah they're looking at biofuels too like the aviation industry they're looking at more streamlined designs and I've seen things where folk are looking at can can wind propulsion play a part in future ship design will we see electric ships electrically powered ships yes I, th I think we will particularly for shorter journeys in coastal waters and ferries and tugs later this year i think the world's largest electrically powered ship is going to go on its maritime uh, on its maiden voyage mm -hmm. um it's a ship for a norwegian fertilizer company and it's it's going to ply its trade up and down the coastal waters of norway capacity for 120 containers so a reasonable amount and, and they're estimating it'll take uh, 40,000 uh, diesel-powered truck trips off the road. Wow. Um, so, so I think in inland waters, coastal waters, electric ships have a place for longer journeys. I suspect it'll be hydrogen and ammonia. Yeah, similar to the airports, there's the ports themselves, isn't there? That they can be greened. They they can indeed. I was talking to uh, to a port client yesterday, as it turned out, about where most of their emissions come from. Mm -hmm. And a biggest chunk of the emissions actually come from the ships when they're berthed. The engines, the, the, yeah, the running over, absolutely, running over, absolutely. You can smell them. You can hear them. When you walk down the Thames, you can hear them all just plugging away, aren't they? Yeah. So um, so the so we were we were having a conversation about connecting uh, connecting the uh, the ships to the uh, to the port's electrical network. Ah, gotcha. 
So when they're in base, they're sort of charging off the... the, the, the uh, absolutely. So they can switch the generators yeah. off, mm -hmm. but through the uh, through an electrical connection, they can still run the ventilation, you know, the fire systems, the lighting. They can still maintain the hotel um, services on the ship. And that's that's entirely viable. Probably what will drive that shift, because it's, it's obviously an expensive infrastructural change for the ports. Back to your point about government earlier, that yeah. will probably require some sort of legis legislative change because of the the expense involved but that's that's ports can instantly make uh, an impact there and the guy i was talking to said roughly 50 percent of his emissions came from berth vessels uh, running running engines yeah to end with do you think that um we are now firmly in the beginning i say beginning with a small b of the decarbonization of transport it, it is unstoppable really you know the technologies are coming on uh, the pace of change is incredible. We we shouldn't forget, you know, that there is a limited supply of oil. So there's there's a there's an imperative there as well. And as I said earlier, my optimism that we're moving towards decarbonising transport is, is not just you know some misty-eyed optimism and and it's the right thing to do. I think the economics yeah. support it as well. So so I think it's inevitable. I think it's just. It's just the pace of change as a society, as an industry. We've got to be relentless. We've got to support it. We've got to really um, show real thought leadership and real real leadership to, to drive the change. But I do believe the future is electric for transportation. Excellent. Philip, thanks so much for joining me today. It's great talking to you. You have been listening to a Future Net Zero podcast along with our partner, UK Power Networks. This has been a promoted podcast. Please follow us on social media and subscribe to the website at www.futurenetzero.com. Future Net Zero. Better business, better planet.